Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. Good morning. It is morning, right? I feel like I'm in this loop of like, I don't know, I'm just at the retreat. Yeah, so this morning's instructions will be on mindfulness of the mind. And there's something interesting that happens when we practice meditation enough. You start seeing the world through these like Dharma lenses and so many things become your teacher, right? Like the, the pleasant things, the, uh, the cool breezes, the warm sun, the walking meditation, like the soft grass, those pleasant aspects can be our, our teacher, right? our Dharma teacher. And then even like the unpleasant aspects of this experience, the pain in the body, the nasty smells, the annoying sounds, you know, they, these also become our teacher. And uh, I think this is uh, true in my experience that I start seeing the Dharma in so many places when I just have the, the vision of meditation. So um, the Halloween season is upon us. I feel like it is just like hoisted upon us coming earlier and earlier every year. And uh, you know, I go to the stores, I see the decorations and the candy and I turn on my, my streaming services and I'm suggested all sorts of horror movies. And so I've been on like a horror movie kick lately. And as I have these Dharma lenses on and keeping mindfulness in all activities, including watching horror movies, I had a very interesting teacher. Uh, Freddy Krueger became my Dharma teacher. And I don't know if, know if any of y'all have seen a Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, prior to a few weeks ago, it, it had been many years since I watched Night, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and I remember it being like this like campy horror movie. It's like, oh yeah, like a slasher type 80s movie. But then recently watching it, it was like, whoa, this movie feels real. And, uh, and of course there is like this cartoonish type villain, Freddy Krueger, that has like a burnt face and wears a fedora hat and a striped, ripped up sweater with his like claw hand thing. And he has his supernatural powers. Of course, all that's quite silly. But what felt real to me was he attacks his victims in their minds. I was like, yeah, that, that seems real, <laughs> right? So the premise of the movie is when people are sleeping, he visits them in their dreams and in these nightmares in their minds. When they die in their nightmares, they die in real life. But if you're anything like me, your nightmares aren't 
reserved to just when you're asleep, right? Sometimes we have these awake nightmares. And nightmare may be a little dramatic, but uh, what happens in a nightmare on Elm Street is that they can't go to sleep. They're left in a constant state of unrest. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Seven, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. So isn't it like these these villains in our mind that keep us in a constant state of unrest. The grasping and the clinging, the hatred and aversion in the mind, quite stressful and unresting. So sometimes it may be nice just to wake up to the nightmare in the mind. And I'm talking about waking up here, right? Like, I feel like ever since mindfulness, you know, the Mick mindfulness, the, the capitalist sales pitch of mindfulness has been uh, uh, kind of disappointing for me because I'll go through the grocery store lines and see the mindfulness magazine and somebody like completely blissed out. There'll be like the commercials, like the 15 second sales pitch of blemish-free models floating on white fluffy clouds in a perfect meditation posture like nothing is phasing them but then we go okay that person seems really blissful and calm and delightful i'll go on a meditation retreat and i can get some of that calm and blissfulness and then we sit on the cushion and it's more like a nightmare rather than a fluffy like white cloud and that's why I appreciate the Buddha's teaching, because the Buddha's awakening wasn't a 15-second sales pitch about how awesome meditation is. The Buddha's awakening was when he was presented with the demons in his mind and found a way to work with them. So in the Buddha's story, um, he was born uh, 2,600 years ago in northern India. His name was Siddhartha Gautama. And he was born of luxury. They said he was a prince, and he had all of the uh, nice things to crave, all the sex, drugs, rock and roll that life had to offer. And he followed all these impulses of indulgence and craving and grasping. And so anything he wanted to grasp towards, he could get, because he was you know, this royalty. And with all this grasping and following every impulse of grasping, he found that he was fucking miserable. He didn't find lasting happiness in that grasping. So through a series of events, he was like, well, let me do the opposite. And he gave up his life of luxury and found himself in extreme religion. He uh, stopped wearing clothes. He stopped eating food. Um, he stopped having sex, and uh, he had no sleep, and, and did these extreme meditations. His meditations, they try to concentrate the mind so much so that he never saw anything of grasping 
never saw anything of hatred. So he just ignored the world. That he, he viewed the world as sinful, bad, and wrong. And what he comes to discover, hating the world and viewing it as a bad place um, made him miserable even more. So he's like, oh, I'm stuck. I tried to do this. I tried to grasp on to all the pleasure. Oh, still suffering. Oh, well, I tried to hate the world away. Oh, still suffering. Ajahn Chah once said, people have suffered in one place, so they go somewhere else. When they have suffered there, they run off again. They are running away from their suffering, but they are, okay, they think they are running away from their suffering, but they are not. It goes with them. They carry suffering around without knowing it. If we don't know suffering, then we can't know the cause of suffering. If we don't know the cause of suffering, then we can't know its release. So we try here, oh, suffering follows us. We try to go here, suffering follows us. So if suffering has been in company with you, this retreat, good. Because then you can know its release. And so through the Buddha's story that he tried to be a good meditator and tried to do the right things. And they said he, he ignored pleasure so much so that he was eating only one grain of rice a day. And he got so skinny that you could see his backbone through his stomach. And he was in this point of just like giving up in misery. And he was sitting in meditation. And uh, a young woman walked by, her name is Sujata, and saw this like meditating bag of bones. And was like, what the hell is that? Is that a ghost? Is that a human? Are you alive? Are you dead? And bearing witness to this confused guy, Oh my gosh, this guy is confused. Let me help him. He's hungry. Let me help him. And Sujata got down and looked at Siddhartha face to face, eye to eye, and witnessed Siddhartha's suffering and offered him something to eat, some rice milk. And in Siddhartha's confusion, he was like, oh no, that's you know, kind of against my religion to eat food. Food is bad and sinful. And she she witnessed his suffering and his confusion. And Siddhartha felt that from Sujata. It was like, oh, it's like, this is a very caring act. I think she's on to something. And so he took the rice milk and drank the rice milk. And with Sujata's compassion and love and his own confusion, he woke up to the middle way. That we can live in the middle of all of life's joys and sorrows, all the pleasantness and the unpleasantness. We can live with an open, peaceful heart with all of it. It's not about getting it right or getting it wrong. It's about loving what is. And so he opened his heart up in life that has pleasant and unpleasant qualities. And he went back to his meditation this time. And as he opened up, something happened. A, a demon, the devil, snuck in with his open heart. The creepy, snarling, nasty demon Mara arrives. Do you all know Mara? I got Mara tattooed on my hand. Uh, 
Well, Andrew's got it somewhere. Yeah, right there. <laughs> we want to keep Mara with us. Right? And so as, as Siddhartha was sitting in meditation, like thoughts arose. Thoughts arose about how, how afraid he was. He's alone in the forest. It's a scary place to be alone in the forest, meditating. And the sky went black, and it got terrifying in there, and a voice popped into his head. Get out. Get out. Give up on your meditation. This is not what you need to be doing. This is unsafe here. And then, with that open heart, he said, I see you, Mara. And he realized that wasn't him saying those things. That's the voice in his head, and that voice of Mara. Oh, I see you, Mara. You know, has Mara visited you? Yeah, good. Yeah, when that voice tells you, you can't do this, give up. This is too painful. This is too much. This is too difficult. Just know that's Mara coming to visit. And Siddhartha's suggestion was to be seen. Just like Sujata saw Siddhartha and he felt that love, he was like, okay, I will see the devil in my mind. I see you, Mara. I see you, Mara. And then as things go on in his meditation, some past memories started to arise about all the fun he had when he was living in luxury as a prince, getting all the great food, the great sex, the great entertainment. And a voice popped into his head, yeah, you should, you should go give up on this meditation and go have all the indulgence, grasp onto all the addictions in the world. That sounds like a great idea. And then he said, oh, I see you, Mara, and saw this snarling demon <laughs> trying to trick him out of meditation. Have you had any grasping thoughts on this retreat? Maybe I should leave and go hit up some of those casinos down the street. That's Mara's voice. <laughs> Mara's visited me a couple of times. I see you, Mara. So we want to see Mara, right? And Mara would try a, a variety of things, all sorts of things, even like just trapping Siddhartha's energy into lethargic depression. And he was, oh, when that energy was just down, he's like, oh, I see you, Mara. And when his energy's up in this restlessness, I can't even sit still, I'm so restless. I said, oh, I see you, Mara. So Mara just attack after attack to try to get Siddhartha up from his seat to stop meditating. And it just wasn't working. So Mara decided one last plan of attack. And so Mara sat down in front of Siddhartha face-to-face, eye-to-eye, trying to reason with him, this nasty, starling demon trying to be a reasonable creature, right? And he sat down with Siddhartha and was like, hey, um, I don't know what you're doing wasting your time with this meditation stuff. It's not even, it doesn't even work. You're just out here alone in the forest wasting your time. You know, you're a prince, and if you go back, you could be a powerful king, and think of all the compassion you can create in the world as a powerful king. And then Siddhartha says, yeah, I see you. I see you, Mara. I see you. And then Mara got a little upset. It's like, God, you're, you know you're all alone in this forest. You, this isn't proving anything to anyone. Let's say you reach your enlightenment, you reach your awakening. There's nobody even here to verify it, 
to be proud of you. There's nobody to tell you uh, that you're doing a good job. There's nobody here that is here to witness your awakening. And then, the, then Siddhartha put his hand down on the earth and said, well, let the earth be, be my witness. And the earth shook. And that's when Siddhartha became the Buddha, the awakened one. And so this is how Siddhartha reached his awakening, by seeing the devil in his mind. Not defeating, not conquering, not being better than, just seeing. Oh, I see you, Mara. And in the suttas, there's something, I can't even figure it out. It sound, it's like a post-interview, it seems like. Like, you know, after like a boxing match, they have the post-interviews with the fighters. And it, I'm trying to figure out what, that's what it seems like. And, and somebody's asking Mara about this. Like, oh, how was the fight? And, <laughs> and Mara says, you know, oh, it's that damn mindfulness. You know, like, it's like that damn right hook. It's like, it was that mindfulness that did it. So mindfulness is the key. Mindfulness. I see you. I see you. Because to be real, some of the scariest things I can think of are the unseen. It's the monsters creeping under our bed, the shadows in the corners, the things hiding in our closet. They get scary. And uh, as I'm watching all these horror movies, another movie I watch, I haven't seen since I was a teenager, The Blair Witch Project. And uh, I remember it came out in 1999, and I saw it in the theaters. It was terrifying. I don't know if you all know about The Blair Witch Project. When it was released, it was before like, the internet was so rampant and we knew everything. They released it as if it was a documentary of found footage of these... Uh, three film students went out into the woods to uh, chase down this folklore of the Blair Witch. So there's a, a Blair Witch, this haunted creature out in the forest that kills people. And so they're like, okay, let's go try to capture this on film. And they go around to all the townspeople and they say, oh, what do you know about the Blair Witch? And they say, oh, you know, I've heard that she takes children and and kills the children out in the woods. Have you seen the Blair Witch? No, I've never seen the Blair Witch. Oh, I heard a story about a young girl that was out in the forest, but she escaped and came back and told her grandmother about a floating woman out in the forest. Oh, and have you seen this Blair Witch? No, no, I've never seen this Blair Witch. And so as the, the documentary goes with like this first person perspective, and they have two cameras set up, and it's wild because you never really see anything. And the spoiler alert, the end of the movie, it's just boom, the camera just drops to the ground. They, they were caught, they got uh, killed by the Blair Witch, assumably, that's where my mind's going. So I remember when I watched it, there was a couple people complaining. They were like, you never got to see the Blair Witch? And I was like, that's terrifying that you never got to see the monster. And there's nothing more scary than that. And so this is what mindfulness is. 
we can bear witness to the monster and it'll be less scary. So mindfulness, uh, to be technical about it, I got on a tangent. I'm like so far away from my notes. Thanks for letting me. <laughs> Let's get back to what we're here to do. Something about mindfulness. <laughs> yeah, I'm like seriously. Like <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, mindfulness, right? So mindfulness is this present time, non-judgmental awareness that we can develop, right? That while we want to see the monsters, we can maintain a non-judgmental awareness to the monsters in our mind. That the way we defeat Mara is by giving up on defeating Mara. Just simply seeing. You know, normally when we're presented with something that holds us back, we're presented with the dilemma of either destroying it or ignoring it. But mindfulness offers us a third option, to just bear witness to it. You know, Mara, to be real, Mara is sometimes translated as the killer, because he's the one that kills our sense of well-being. He kills our practice. He's the one that, that, that voice that gets us uh, getting away from our own volitional goals, the ones that will get us up from our cushion. So not to destroy that thought, because what happens is sometimes that thought gets even more inflamed when we hate the hatred. What Andrew was talking about, the double fucks last night. Hatred's not appeased by hatred. There's a fifth verse of the Dhammapada. Hatred's not appeased by hatred. Hatred's appeased by love. So as the voice aggressively pushes away, get rid of Try to love that. And love, to me, sometimes is just having a sense of connection and bearing witness. Not that we have to even love Mara out. Oh, I love you just the way you are, Mara. And so this present time, non-judgmental awareness that comes from being with the breath, being with the body, being with the sensations of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and then we can also be with the mind in the present time experience. So this, this word mindfulness, while it's an everyday term now you can see in magazines and commercials, it wasn't always this everyday term. It actually didn't come about until the 1800s. There was a a Pali Sanskrit scholar, he's a British guy named Rhys David that lived in the late 1800s. And he went to Sri Lanka to translate a lot of the, the Pali canon, the old school Buddhist scriptures. And as he was translating um, these Buddhist scriptures, there was a word sati, S-A-T-I, sati. And that word is what he translated into the word mindfulness, which I think mindfulness is a great word. 
I think that's a good explanation of what sati is. And at the same time, we also discover there may be some other ways to translate this word sati, this word that we use for mindfulness. One of which is uh, to remember, to remember. And not necessarily to remember like recollecting in the past, but remember the present time experience. You know, when we fall asleep to the alternate universes of the twilight zone in our mind, oh, remember. Remember, I'm lost in thought. Remembering I'm caught in the fantasy. Remember I'm uh, grasping towards the future, regretting the past. Remember. And when we have those moments, oh, I remember. We come back to the breath, come back to the body, come back to the sensations. I'm lost. Oh, remember. And I think that there's something quite freeing and um, um, secure about remembering this present time experience. Back to horror movies. Um, uh, you know, I'm the youngest in my family, and my sister's 10 years older than me. And I remember being a little kid and maybe being exposed to a few things I was a little bit immature to, to see. And I, I remember, like, we had a front room in my house where we would watch movies, and sometimes I'd wander in to see my older sister watching some horror movies, some scary movies for me. And I'd sit with her and watch them and get scared, get scared. And I'd run to my mom, terrified about what I just saw on the screen. And she said, oh, it's okay. Remember, it's just a movie. Remember, it's just a movie. So as we have the projection going off, there's a horror film playing in your mind about you know, the stress of work next week. Remember, it's just a movie in your mind. Oh, and when the memory plays about how the terrible things you may have done and the self-resentment and shame that you have from the past. Oh, remember, it's just a movie. Meninjurji, we talked about a few times, my favorite thing that Meninjurji ever said, really changed my practice, was a thought of your mother is not your mother, it's a thought thought of your mother is not your mother, it's a thought. So a thought of the future is not the future, it's a thought. A thought of the past is not the past, it's a thought. A thought of, of you know, a fantasy. A thought about how you know, we're in a painful meditation and these thoughts arise that respond to pain with aversion, that thought about how I'm a bad meditator and we compare ourselves to Roy with his perfect posture. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, fuck. you know, a thought how I'm not even good enough to be in this room. It's just a thought. And then you may be doing a, a very pleasant meditation. You may think, I'm the best meditator the greatest. I can't wait until they notice how, <laughs> how good a meditator I am. And they're going to ask me to give the next Dharma talk. <laughs> like there's some competition happening here. America's next top Dharma teacher. <laughs> Whoa, that's just a thought. So these thoughts that Mara plays with us, right? 
Grasping and aversion. Grasping and aversion. I see you, Mara. Remember, it's just a thought. It's just a movie playing in your mind. Remember. And that's the beauty of mindfulness. So I want to get into some instructions. How? How? How do we even come to terms with understanding a thought as a thought? That's, a, that's, that's tough sometimes. We fall asleep. Wake up. Wake up. It's just a thought. So I, I teach mindfulness in a variety of settings um, and to people that have never meditated ever in their life. And the number one thing I run into is I can't meditate because I think too much. I can't stop my thoughts. They're just always there. The mind is always thinking. And I'm like, luckily for you, that's not what we're trying to do. It's not mindlessness. It's mindfulness. And uh, the trouble is, with, with the mind, though, I get it, we take it very personally. But in meditation, we can come to discover just like the lungs breathe air, the eyes see sight, the ears hear sound. The mind thinks thoughts. That's another sense organ. But the thing is, we normally not swept away in the... In the the sound or swept away in the sight or swept away in the mind. So purposely meeting this mind with mindfulness will help us uh, create a great deal of freedom. So makes sense though that they're confused because the instructions are, are kind of confusing. We start this meditation, we start this retreat, don't think. Mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of breath. Your mind wanders off. Don't do that. Come back to the breath. Come back to the body. Cut it out. Stop. <laughs> Anything but thinking was the instructions. Well, now you're telling me it's okay to think? Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of how this works. You, you kind of have to start with getting some space from the thinking mind because we tend to self-identify with it so hard. We tend to think we're in the movie. So through mindfulness of breathing and taking some time to attempt to ignore the mind, it helps us unhook a little bit. So in this practice, yeah, come back to the breath, come back to the body over and over again. Mind wanders off. Okay. Oh, I remember. I remember I'm supposed to come back to the breath or come back to the body. And we do that over and over again. And the thing is about this practice, though, we, we don't want to be too good at it. We want to maybe get a C minus D grade at this practice of not thinking because that gives us an opportunity to practice mindfulness. So as the mind wanders off, I, I like using a simple note of thought. Thought, thought, thought. And then come back. Come back to the breath, come back to the body. Oop, I'm wandered off again. Thought. So just spending time to see a thought as a thought. Oh, thought, thought, thought. And then also moving on from there, sometimes I like to move on from just noting thought into noting uh, the attitude of the thought. Not necessarily getting wrapped up in the dramas or the dialogues of the thought, but just seeing what trick Mara is playing today. Oh, I see you, Mara. Oh, that's an aversive thought. Oh, aversive thought. And then come back, come back. Oh, that's a grasping thought, the fantasy of going to the casino. I see you, Mara, 
grasping thought, grasping thought, And to be real, uh, I think the Abhidhamma has like countless amounts of mind states. I think most of mine are just those two, grasping and aversion, grasping and aversion. And this plays wonderfully on the practice we've been doing how it builds together, that we started with mindfulness of breath and body, getting concentration, getting some space from the thinking mind, and then we moved on to feeling tone, noting pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings, and then now we're expanding into the mind, and the mind's relationship to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings. Mind's relationship to pleasantness, grasping. Oh, wow, I noticed that storyline. That's a thought, grasping thought. And then as Anything painful arises? Oh, yeah, there you are. I see you. I see you more aversive, hateful thoughts. Oh, yeah. Non-judgmentally. Oh, yeah. Not that you're a bad meditator for having aversive thoughts. That means you're a human. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then the, the ignorance, too, right? When neutral arises, we ignore it. We don't care about it. So these are the, what the Buddha taught us, the three poisons. Greed, hatred, and ignorance. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Greed, hatred, ignorance. Noticing, ignoring. Oh. Noticing, grasping. Oh. Noticing, hatred. Oh. And of course, if you find other attitudes in the mind helpful to note, note those too. Oh, restlessness. Oh, annoyance. Oh, happiness. Oh, just anything. That's good too, but with, uh, with the instructions, you know, try to keep them simple, just noticing greed, hatred, and ignorance arise. But um, if you notice any other mind states arise in your mind, that, that's helpful to note. Oh, shame, <laughs> there you are saying, shame, I see you. Oh, resentment, I see your resentment. Oh, excitement, I see your excitement. So don't try to get it right either. We're not just trying to be like, oh, I, I got that hatred right. That is definitely hatred. Then a thought arises and you're like, oh, I don't know if that is this and that is it. You saw the thought. Success. Success. Um, yeah. So I'll guide you through the practice and then I'll uh, leave some time for uh, questions around it. So let's just stress, uh, stretch. I said stress. Let's stress for a moment and stretch, stretch for a moment. <laughs> Freudian slip, yeah.
arriving into a purposeful meditation posture. And if it feels right, allowing the eyes to close, taking the awareness inward. And just arriving into the space, allowing all the sounds and the smells and the air on the skin to welcome you into this environment. Setting this intention that there's nowhere to go and nothing to do, no right or wrong way to do this, nothing we need to get right. Let's arrive further into this experience by bringing our awareness into this body, mindfulness of body. And scanning throughout the body, loosening the grip on this body. Bringing the awareness into the face, observing the impulses and activities of the face, releasing the grip on the face, releasing the brow, the eyes, the jaw. Pouring this mindful awareness through the throat. And down into the shoulders. Let go. Allowing the shoulders to fall. Feeling the weight of the arms resting and the hands resting. towards the front of the body, being present with this heart, and 
scanning downward, releasing the belly, softening the belly. Feeling into the point of contact with your seat. Letting go, allowing the seat to support you. And scanning the awareness throughout the legs and all the way down to the feet. Noticing within this body any pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral sensations that come to visit you. how this body is communicating to you, how sounds naturally arise, smells and tastes, and sensation on the skin just naturally happens. And we can also notice how this body naturally breathes itself. Nothing you need to do, it's taken care of. So maintaining mindfulness of breathing. As you breathe in, know that you're breathing in. And as you breathe out, know that you're breathing out. And as the awareness wanders, remember, oh, back to the breath. I'm just spending time with this good friend, the breath, for a while.
found yourself lost in thought, remember, it's just a movie. Remember, come back, <coughs> come back to the breath, come back to the body. Not right now, mind. developing the concentration to get space from the thinking mind that we don't take it so personally just coming back to the breath over and over
So after taking some time to, to concentrate on the breath and the body, it may be helpful to note thought when you're lost in one thought that leads to another thought and another thought, just utilizing thought, 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 and come back to the breath. That's a thought. Simply knowing a thought as a thought. Come back to the breath, come back to the body. Thought. storyline the mind is giving you. It's just a thought. The thought of your mother is not your mother. It's a thought. That's a thought. Breathing in and breathing out, expanding the capacity for mindfulness as we shine the light of mindfulness directly onto the mind. I see you, mind. What's the attitude of that thought? The mind wanders off into the stories and the dialogues. What's the attitude? Is that an aversive thought? Is it a thought that wants to push out some unpleasant experience, wants to get rid of? Has that sense of my sense of well-being is reliant on something being gone? 
oh, I see you. I see you aversion. Simply noting aversion and coming back to the breath, coming back to the body. There's aversion. the mind grasping, leaning towards, chasing pleasure. It's a sense of, my sense of well-being is reliant on this thing being here and staying here. I see you grasping, the craving mind. be checked out. When the mind is checked out, oh, I see you checking out. The ignoring mind. judgmental but curious with the attitude of the mind as it plays ping-pong with aversion and grasping, aversion and grasping. Just simply notice that's just a tendency of having a mind. I see you is the key to freedom.
other, visiting tendencies arise, Mara's tricks, dullness arise, oh, I see you, dullness, restlessness, oh, I see you, judgment, comparing, happiness, whatever there may be, non-judgmentally observing the attitude of the mind. 